now I shall turn straight to uh, Professor Richard Falk, um, who is going to be talking to us about genocide, self-defense under international law. As I mentioned before, Richard is a renowned international expert. He was a UN rapporteur on, on the Palestine case for the United Nations. Um, and he's going to talk to us about the question of genocide, what we're seeing at the moment, question of self-defense, um, and where we're going in terms of the International uh, Court of Justice and the South African attempts. So, Richard. Uh, thank you, Piers. I'm very uh, honored and pleased to be part of this panel, and I think it's very crucial to link uh, the genocidal events in uh, Gaza and, in a sense, in all of occupied Palestine uh, to uh, the configurations of empire in the post 9-11, post uh, Cold War international environment, and not forgetting uh, the Ukraine dimension while we focus on the Middle East. Uh, the Hamas attack on October 7th, which is itself surrounded by suspicious circumstances of Israeli foreknowledge and therefore allowing these horrific events to unfold and uh, being very slow to respond to the actuality of the attack. Uh, and the quickness with which it converted a limited uh, instance of uh, Palestinian resistance under Hamas's uh, leadership into the pretext for launching this vengeful and genocidal onslaught on the civilian population of Gaza. That's a shocking sequence of events on its own. And then when you consider the magnitude of the uh, violence that's been inflicted on Gaza and the population, the whole of the population, uh, you have to understand that this is uh, a horrific transparent and, in a way, uh, original uh, confrontation with the crime of crimes genocide. In the past, uh, genocides have been known mainly in retrospect and indirectly, and we have not had the uh, experience of the unfolding before our eyes on nightly television. The imagery of bombing hospitals and refugee camps, of babies being buried in mass graves, is something uh, grotesque 
that not only is occurring as a result of Israeli uh, actions, but enjoys the complicity of important uh, countries in what I would call the settler colonial states of the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, plus the main members of NATO, which include Germany, UK, and France, who are also colonial powers. And so this has to be seen as part of the post-colonial effort by the global white West to maintain a hegemonic control over the whole world system. If we look at the casualties and the uh, damage that has been done in Gaza up to this point, in the three months that these horrendous events have unfolded, and multiply them proportionately to the population of a country like the United States, which has supported uh, materially and diplomatically at every stage so far uh, the occurrence of such violence, we would multiply uh, the death totals of over 20,000 by 175 uh, to take a proportional account of the relative populations. That's a shocking total, to, and predominantly civilians, and seemingly having only a marginal connection with Israeli security. If Israeli security was the dominant motive, they would do differently what uh, might prevent some uh, similar act of resistance to take place in the future. They would first of all correct the uh, bureaucratic process that led to the so-called security lapse, uh, and that would probably be sufficient to reestablish their security. They would also uh, try to accommodate the needs of the people of Gaza by lifting the 15-year-old uh, blockade and make any acts of resistance seem less uh, like a jail breakout uh, than a isolated instance of violence. When we look at the uh, Genocide Convention itself, uh, we see that both Israel and the United States and the leading uh, NATO members, 
and those settler colonial states are all parties to uh, that convention, which was viewed as a key element in creating a uh, kind of wall against the rep repetition of what happened in the Holocaust. And what we've seen not only in Gaza now, but elsewhere in Rwanda, in Malaysia, in, in Myanmar, not Malaysia, uh, is an inadequate capacity to implement the intention of the Genocide Convention to prevent its recurrence. But what is clear is that the facts of bombing so indiscriminately and so uh, persistently and disproportionately in opposition to international humanitarian law the civilian population of 2.3 million Gazans is, creates the factual foundation of the genocidal allegation. And that factual allegation is reinforced by the statements of the highest Israeli leaders, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, uh, the President uh, Herzog, and the Minister of uh, Defense, uh, uh, Yoav Gallant. All of them have articulated views about the total decimation and devastation of uh, Gaza, the destruction of up to 80% of the housing in northern Gaza, which was, uh, which was part of a deliberate policy of forced evacuation with the evident intention of ethnic cleansing. In other words, all the evidence we have points to the fact that the October 7th Hamas attack served as a pretext for the completion of the Zionist project by the uh, dispossession of Israelis, uh, dispossession by Israelis of Palestinians living not only in Gaza, but in the West Bank, which has uh, experienced uh, unrestricted uh, settler violence in this period, and has also suffered uh, unusually severe uh, casualties uh, during this time.
So what we have is a transparently evident instance of genocide that has been defended very weakly and without a substantive argument as a case of self-defense. We know from international law that self-defense does not allow the, def the, so the state that claims it uh, to engage in disproportionate and uh, unlimited violence or to commit uh, what would otherwise be crimes uh, under the sh under the cover of claiming self-defense. Uh, and in this instance, uh, the uh, claim of self-defense is particularly weak because Gaza and the West Bank are occupied territories and under the administrative responsibility of Israel as the occupying power since 1967. Israel has not implemented uh, the unanimous Security Council Resolution 242 back in 1967, which called upon it to withdraw to the 67 borders and instead has used that uh, period to engage in uh, unlawful territorial encroachments on the occupied territory of the West Bank through its extensive settlement uh, network, which has 650,000 Israelis living there and is really the uh, death warrant of any uh, realistic hope that a two-state solution could be achieved in light of this kind of territorial ambitious expansionism. So that uh, it's questionable under any circumstances that a claim of self-defense is uh, appropriate in an occupied territory governed by the Fourth Geneva Convention, because in effect, self-defense is only a uh, tactically available if the combatants are both, in some sense, political actors of an international status. You cannot defend yourself against part of what you are administering within your own territory. You can make reasonable claims to establish security or to reestablish security. But as I've suggested, uh, Israel has not tried to do that. As shocking as these genocidal uh, crimes have been, 
I find as disturbing uh, the complicity of the, these countries in the world that have held themselves before international public opinion as models of democracy, of champions of human rights, of uh, supporters of the rule of law. For the United States to uh, undermine its own uh, reputation by supporting this sort of transparent genocide should be shocking to the peoples of the world, and it has been if one uh, takes account of the uh, uh, popular demonstrations all over the world. And uh, these acts of complicity go against the obligations of the uh, Genocide Convention, which require parties to the convention, all of which uh, encompass both Israel and uh, the U.S., as well as the members of NATO and the settler colonial states, all of them are expected as a matter of law to take what action is uh, reasonably possible in order to prevent or uh, disrupt the continuation of genocide. They are all perpetrating uh, crimes of being accessory to genocide. And it is an act of shame that they have done uh, little to distance themselves or to actively oppose uh, the, uh, the continuation of these developments and to use their leverage at the United Nations to disempower the Security Council that sought by an overwhelming vote of 14 to 1 to establish a ceasefire weeks ago. This is not only failing to prevent genocide, it's a matter of facilitating genocide. And that should be taken into our political imagination and our moral imagination when we think about accountability for the crimes that are being committed. South Africa has recently initiated under uh, Article 3 of the Genocide Convention uh, its right as a party to the convention uh, to call for the International Court of Justice to impose provisional measures 
of a character that would instruct Israel as a matter of International Court of Justice authority to immediately cease uh, any kind of uh, violent activity that is part of the crime that is being committed and would also consider whether Hamas should fall within the scope of such a crime. This, this is a serious challenge, both to uh, the complicit countries to stand aside if the rulings that are expected in the coming weeks of the World Court do uphold the South African uh, application that is calling for these immediate measures as a prelude to a decision on whether the uh, allegation of genocide, which is contained in a 94-page document that goes through in agonizing detail the uh, facts of genocide that have uh, transpired in this period, uh, starting with the day after October 7. There, there is also the question of who will endorse this South African uh, initiative. Turkey, so far, is the only NATO member uh, that has uh, endorsed it. Uh, Jordan and uh, Malaysia have joined in that endorsement. And we notice that none of the European colonial powers and none of the settler colonial states have seen fit to uphold a judicial determination of whether action should be taken to prevent this genocide from going on. So what is presented to the world is a crisis of implementation and accountability. There's no doubt that a crime of a high magnitude is being committed and indeed is virtually confessed to be uh, committed despite Israel's uh, record of defiance of international law throughout its occupation and its uh, allegations that any criticism, wherever it emanates from, is an instance of anti-Semitism. It called the International Criminal Court's uh, de decision to investigate crimes against 
Israel, crimes by Israel, uh, alleged by Palestine subsequent to 2014, before these recent events, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu reacted by saying, this is pure anti-Semitism, as if the uh, internet, uh, respected international institution w is uh, motivated by such base intentions. Similarly, they've attacked the uh, South African initiative as a blood libel against the Jewish people. A blood libel was the kind of anti-Jewish uh, uh, allegation made in the early Christian period that Jews were guilty of uh, murdering Christian babies. And it, and it was genuine anti-Semitism of a extreme sort to uh, make these false allegations. But to, but to contradict what we see before our eyes and call that a blood libel uh, is itself uh, something that suggests an unwillingness of Israel to accept any authority that challenges its uh, policies, however unlawful and criminal. And it's done that throughout the occupation. It has made life miserable for people like myself who acted as special rapporteurs that were uh, expected to report as honestly as we could on uh, violations of human rights associated with the Israeli occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and Gaza. So we have a situation where the prospects of implementing a favorable international court of justice decision uh, against Israel will depend on the willingness of the Security Council to use its authority and to take the steps necessary to implement that decision. And once again, it will that will hinge on whether the uh, permanent five members of the Security Council uh, will uh, either abstain and f or at least by f and, and thereby uh, suspend their right of veto or actually vote in favor of uh, implementing the findings and the uh, orders of the International Court of Justice. And in the longer run, there seems to be a need for some kind of accountability procedure 
to address these crimes, both the uh, crime of genocide as perpetrated by Israel and the crimes of complicity as led by the U.S. and supported in various ways by the United Kingdom, France, and uh, Germany. So this is a crisis of not only conscience, but of law and of the protection of vulnerable people in a world that is beset by a variety of uh, challenges, uh, including the ongoing Ukraine war, and is seeking a new kind of way of managing power and security that doesn't depend on the unipolar uh, imperial authority uh, that has been exercised by the United States since the end of the Cold War and the implosion of the Soviet Union. A new phase of international relations will emerge out of this crisis. In bringing my remarks to a close, I would also say there's a great danger that Israel will seek to widen the war in the region because it will be cornered uh, politically, which is beginning to be evident in some of the violence beyond the borders of uh, Gaza itself. And it's cornered because it can neither uh, prevail and convincingly uh, declare some kind of victory that is credible, nor can it afford to lose given the investment it's made in terms of its own law, the lives of Israeli soldiers and citizens, and the uh, damage it's done to its uh, global reputation. It's no longer a legitimate state after uh, this form of sustained behavior. It is uh, condemned almost universally, and the peoples of the governments that are condemning it are seeking to exert pressure for some sort of implementation. So there is this moment of crisis and appeal to the peoples of the global West to rise in a way that exerts pressure on their own governments to take international law seriously, to promote at this late toxic stage justice for the Palestinian people. Let me stop there.
Thank you, Richard, for that uh, forensic and unequivocal assessment of what is happening at the moment in relation to the question of genocide. Um, we'll also have many questions at the end in the panel discussion. Um, just strikes me that the weaponization of the term anti-Semitism, I think, is wearing thin, given what we're seeing in, in the Middle East at the moment. Um, but that was a fantastic presentation. Uh